Are you scared? Get ready as I take you on a journey through horror films of the past and present, and open your minds as I share with you real paranormal encounters that myself and others have experienced. My name is Steve, and welcome to my horror section. Thank you for tuning in. On this episode, I'm taking you back to 1978 to examine The Manitou a terrifying film centered around a 400-year-old Native American medicine man being reborn into this world. After that, I have another chilling paranormal encounter of my own to share with you. So, my fellow children of the dark, I present The Manitou. Evil does not die, it waits to be reborn. To our knowledge, Native Americans settled here as much as 15,000 years ago, but possibly even much earlier than that, closer to 30,000 years ago, back when America was called the Turtle Island. We live on ancient land here, once ruled by people who honored and worshipped the power behind all things in nature. That power is what the Algonquians called the Manitou. Now let's look at the definition of Manitou. It's akin to the Iroquois Orienda. It is the spiritual and fundamental life force among Algonquian groups in Native American theology. It is omnipresent and manifests everywhere organisms, the environment, events, etc. Asha Manitou means good spirit, while Ochi Manitou means bad spirit. Gichi Manitou means great spirit in several Algonquian languages. Christian missionaries have translated God as Gichi Manitou in scriptures and prayers in the Algonquian languages. The Great Spirit is the concept of a life force, a supreme being or God known more specifically as Wakantanka in Lakota and Gichimanitou in Algonquian, and by other specific names in a number of Native American and First Nation cultures. Manitou is the belief of Algonquians meaning mysterious being, or simply mystery. It is an Algonquian word that represents the unknown power of life and the universe. The Manitou is an American horror film that was released on April 28, 1978. It is based off of the 1975 book by Graham Masterton. The three main characters in our tale are Harry Erskine, played by Tony Curtis, Karen Tandy by Susan Strasberg, and John Singing Rock by Michael Ansara. This film received mixed reviews. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it only a 40%. 
However, Mr. Masterton, who wrote the book, said he liked it a lot. It was produced and directed by William Girdler, who sadly passed away in a helicopter crash before this film was released. So now I have a plot summary for you of our film. A tarot card reader and con man, Harry Erskine, is approached by an old friend, Karen Tandy, who is in town seeking a doctor for a strange lump she found on the back of her neck that has been rapidly growing over the course of about three days now. X-rays reveal that what is inside the suspected tumor is actually a fetus. But as we know, women don't generally carry babies on the back of their necks. As the fetus develops, Karen begins acting very strangely, uttering a creepy phrase in her sleep, Pana, Wichi, Salatu, a phrase heard many times during this film. Seeking help for his dear friend, Harry reaches out to his former mentor for assistance. A seance is performed, and contact is made with a powerful entity that is inhabiting Karen. The team pays a visit to Dr. Snow, played by special guest Burgess Meredith. They discover that the language Karen is speaking belongs to a Native American tribe. Panawichi Salatu translates to my death foretells my return. Dr. Snow reveals that it is documented in Native American folklore that powerful medicine men could reincarnate themselves on the bodies of people or animals, and that every time they come back to life, they become more powerful. Now the clock is ticking as the evil medicine man continues to develop on Karen's neck and back. He has taken control of her, using his magic to halt any attempts made by doctors to stop him from coming into this world. Harry seeks the aid of John Singing Rock, another medicine man who is the only one that can stand toe-to-toe against Misquamacus, the 400-year-old shaman who wants to bring this world to an end. Each of these shaman are able to summon forth the Manitous, of animals and the elements of nature to do war with each other. Now the battle is on to save Karen and stop Misquamacus. Now let's take a look at some of the fear factors of this film. Vintage horror films had a grittiness to them that helped make them scarier looking to the viewer versus the crystal clear HD movies that we now have. That definitely plays a role in a film. Some old movies, I think of uh, like The Howling, uh, going way back to like Nosferatu and The Dark Old House. Just the way that they looked on the screen just gave it a very eerie feel. It, it, it almost made it feel found footage-ish. Um, it just, I don't know, there was an organicness to how it looked and made it scarier to the audience. This film definitely has that. I feel that the makeup was very well done in this film, especially on Misquamacus. He was extremely disturbing looking. He was made to look underdeveloped and damaged by the radiation from the x-rays they took of him when he was first discovered on Karen's neck. When he finally emerges from Karen and falls to the floor and crawls around is probably one of the most chilling scenes in the film. I have to say probably my favorite scene in this film and scariest scene for me uh, was Mrs. Hurst's tarot card reading. 
Harry's client, Mrs. Hurst, shows up to her appointment at his apartment, and he, he begins dealing out her tarot cards. This scene scared me because it was so unexpected. Um, his He's reading her cards, telling her things are looking good for her this week, giving her the whole spiel, you know, oh, very nice, you know, flips over card after card. And then finally he gets to the last card, which, as he turns it up, it's the death card. As soon as he does this, Mrs. Hurst collapses back in her chair, with her jaw dropped open and her eyes bugging out. She starts breathing very heavily and strangely, and starts struggling to get out the words that we hear so much in this film, Panna Witchy Solitude. She begins to shake and convulse, um, having some sort of seizure-like attack. Harry panics and calls the police. As he does, this old woman, who when she arrived, had a cane and could barely walk, gets up and does this strange, almost rain dance movement, all while yelling out, Panna Witchy Solitude. This very chaotic scene is taking place. It's, it's very panic-inducing. And all of a sudden, she just stops. Her face goes blank, and she starts walking quickly towards the door, as if there was nothing wrong with her. Harry tries to stop her, but she turns and screams at him. Then, she starts floating down the hallway and is hurled down the stairs, resulting in her untimely death. Like I said earlier, this scene just spooked me because it was so out of the blue and I was not ready for it. There were a couple of uh, really good jump scares in this film. The first one that got me was when Karen was on the surgery table. And at that time, uh, the small, the miscomacus was still just a small lump and they were going to try to remove it. The doctor was getting ready to cut in and Karen's eyes all of a sudden opened. And they timed it perfectly with the musical hit as her eyes opened and it just made me jump. And she's trying to get the words uh, Panna Witchy Solitude, even with the endotracheal tube down her throat. The doctor's hands are bewitched, and he slices his own hand with the scalpel. Uh, the second jump scare that really got me was when Harry was walking back to Karen's hospital room. Uh, this was more towards the end of the film. And an orderly that was watching her, uh, his bloody face just comes busting through the glass of her, uh, of her door was not expecting that at all. In closing, I would like to say The Manitou has always been one of those horror films that really stood out to me as being very unique. I've never seen anything like it. I've seen this film at least 50 times, and I could watch it another 50 times. I am kicking myself, though, because I have not yet read the book. Um, and in doing the research uh, when I was putting this podcast together, I read a lot of negative reviews about it. And all I can say is people can just be assholes. I have a tendency to have an appreciation for films that more often than not have gotten bad reviews. It was accused of trying to ride the wave of The Exorcist's success that had released uh, just a couple years prior to. To me, this film is very different from The Exorcist. It wasn't so much about possession as it was reincarnation. Miss Comacus did take over Karen a few times, but that was more to communicate and to protect himself while he was developing. Once he got out, he kind of did his own thing. The Exorcist had no Native American ties, and Reagan didn't give birth to a shaman 
So to those critics, I say fuck off. <laughs> I felt that for the 1978 uh, graphics that were available at the time, they did a pretty damn good job. A lot of people, including myself, uh, felt that the ending was amazing. As Karen ends up waking up and she invokes the Manitou of electricity and machines to destroy Misquamacus. I just felt that that was very well done. And at the end of the movie, it says, Fact. Tokyo, Japan, 1969. A 15-year-old boy developed what doctors thought was a tumor on his chest. The larger it grew, the more uncharacteristic it appeared. Eventually, it proved to be a fetus. I did a little research on this, but I could not find the exact case that they were referring to. I did, however, find information on what's called fetus in fatu. It is a very, it's, it's very rare, only happening in 1 in 500,000 people. It is when a partially developed fetus is found on, on and or in a person. Uh, they usually show up as like a like a, a small mass or tumor, just like our movie. They do not have a brain or intes- intestinal system. They can be alive for a short time in the body, but inevitably they die off and need to be removed. When this occurs, it is theorized that these masses were originally a fetus that was absorbed by their twin in the womb and didn't completely break down um, in the other fetus. Very interesting reading if you have time to look into that. I think that The Manitou would be a great film to be remade with today's technology, and if a director like James Wan got a hold of it, it would be something truly horrifying. And now on to part two, Paranormal Encounters. I have another tale of my own to share with you this evening. I call this story A Nightly Visitor. When I was 12 years old, we moved into a two-story house that was once used as a model home. We were the first family to live in it. The land it was relocated to was a wooded area that many teens in the area used to party in back in the day. When my brother and I were checking out the section of woods that was left up on our property, we stumbled across an area that gave us the creeps. There were four pine trees that made a perfect square. In the center was a hole dug out about knee deep. I figured it was a spot where people had fires in the hole and kind of hung out back in the day. There was something about this spot though that always made me feel very uneasy. I always had a feeling like we shouldn't be there. Over the years I began to theorize that this was some sort of spiritual portal. Reason being that all of the paranormal experiences that I've had while living in that house were very random. No two experiences ever seemed to be connected. It was almost as if they were just, you know, visitors that came from time to time. Although, we did have one reoccurring event that took place. When my parents bought the house, the second story wasn't finished. They had to go in and put carpeting in and put doors on the two bedrooms that were upstairs. I should probably give you a layout of the house. 
My parents' bedroom was on the main floor with the kitchen, dining, and living room. We had a full basement, and then me and my brother's rooms and a bathroom was on the second floor. We got the carpeting laid down right away, but my brother and I never got bedroom doors until I was like 16 years old. This wasn't on purpose or anything, it just wasn't that important to my folks at the time. It was funny because my brother and I never really cared much about it either. I had fun with it, uh, putting up a couple different beaded curtains over the years. Anyways, the first night we slept upstairs, I could hear the sound of footsteps coming up the carpeted stairs. They got louder and the closer they got to the top. I sat up in bed and watched towards the open doorway. The stairs came right up the middle of the house, ending at a small hallway that separated my brother's room and mine. Our rooms were directly across from one another. The steps stopped. I couldn't see anything. Then the steps started back down the stairs and got quieter as they reached the bottom. I just laid back down and fell asleep. I figured it was just mom or dad coming up to check on us. You know, doing that good parenting thing? <laughs> This happened on an almost nightly basis for months before I ever said anything to our parents, because I always just assumed it was uh, just one of them. One morning we were sitting having breakfast and I casually mentioned to mom, hey, I didn't hear you come up and check on us last night. My mother looked at me with a very puzzled look on her face. Come up and check on you, she said. I said, yeah. I can hear you walk up and down the stairs at night to check on us. Mom said, Steve, I think I checked on you guys like the first night you slept up there, but that was it. I have not done that since. Chills went through my whole body. Our father traveled for business, so that ruled him out. So what the hell was walking up and down our stairs at night? The footsteps continued to happen over the years, almost nightly, and there was always the feeling of someone watching you. I remember playing video games in my room. I would always cut my eyes at the doorway because I could feel eyes on me. I was very scared of this at first. I would always sit up and watch towards the landing as the steps got closer, expecting to see something appear at the top of the stairs, but nothing ever showed itself. Then there would be a pause of silence, and then the footsteps would start back down the stairs. As time went on, the fear uh, that this was causing subsided. I remember thinking, well, no one has gotten hurt or anything, so I guess I won't worry too much. Over the years, I'd have friends over to spend the night, and I would always give them a, a heads up that, hey, if you're awake, you might hear some footsteps, because I didn't want them to freak out on me. <laughs> I remember one of my best friends, uh, Crystal, stayed the night. We woke up the next morning, and the first thing she said to me was, I heard the footsteps. We laughed and talked about it. We weren't so much scared of it anymore. However, one night the footsteps decided to take things a step further. I was sleeping and had my back to the doorway. I was awakened by the sound of footsteps. 
but this time they were loud and directly behind me. My adrenaline went from zero to 100. I whipped myself around and got up to my hands and knees on the bed, ready to react to whatever was behind me. There was nothing there. My heart was pounding, and I couldn't take my eyes off the doorway. I kept expecting to see something peek back at me from around the corner, but nothing. I eventually calmed down and laid back down, but I could not take my eyes off the doorway that night. The next day, I stood by the stairs in the hallway and said, I don't mind if you want to walk up and down the stairs, but you need to stay out of my room. I only had one incident in my room after that. I remember it was a hot summer night, the windows were open, and I had just one sheet covering me in the bed. I could feel the breeze from the outside moving the sheets a little bit, as breezes tend to do. My back was again turned away from the doorway. All of a sudden, the entire sheet lifted into the air, completely off the bed, and came back down on me. And I'm sorry, but the chances of a breeze doing that are pretty slim. It startled me. I, of course, turned and looked toward the doorway. Again, nothing to be seen. I shook my head, more annoyed than scared at this point, and I just went back to sleep. Well, eventually, I grew up and moved away from home down to Florida for seven years. It was there where I met my husband, Eric. We moved back to Michigan in 2013. Our home in Florida sold so fast that Eric and I moved in with my parents for three months while we found a new home up here. We slept in my brother's old room. Since I moved out, he had moved into my room. He never liked sleeping in his, in his room. It always creeped him out. As a child, he slept most every night downstairs in the living room, on the couch, or on the floor. It had been so long since I'd heard the footsteps that I began to wonder if it was just the over-imagination of a child. It must have heard me think that. One evening, I had gone upstairs to get ready for bed. Eric was downstairs out in the garage with my parents having a cigarette. I took my contact lenses out, brushed my teeth, and was just getting ready to climb into bed. The lights were all still on because I was, expect I was expecting Eric to come up shortly behind me. All of a sudden, three loud footsteps, like someone took off in a sprint, came from the hallway. A bang hit the door and slung it open. Are you okay? I said, running over to the door. I thought it was Eric. I thought maybe he tripped and stumbled into the door. I got to the doorway and no one was there. My body went cold. I walked slowly to the stairway. I could hear Eric and my parents talking downstairs from the garage. I knew right away that the spirit was letting me know that what I heard as a child was real. I remember feeling a little relieved that I wasn't crazy. The spirit made its presence known one more time before we moved into our new home. And this time, not to me. My brother Adam and I went to the movies one night. Eric stayed home with my parents. Horror films were never really his thing. <laughs> he was getting ready to go up for bed. 
He had just laid down and gotten comfortable when he heard three knocks against one of the bedroom windows. It puzzled him. One, because he was on the second floor, and two, there were no trees or anything near the house that could be blown against it. Even if there was, what are the chances it would knock in three rapid successions? Eric tried to just ignore it, but then it did it again. He sat up and said, Okay, that's enough. You just go away now. It stopped after that. Shortly we moved into our new home. I came back to my parents' house one day to say goodbye to the spirit on the stairs, as I came to call it. I told it there was no reason for it to stay there, and that it was time to move on. After that, the upstairs at my parents felt lighter, and you no longer felt that feeling of eyes watching you. I hope the spirit has moved on and found peace, and if it was watching over us, I want to say thank you. Well, sadly no one responded to my first episode's question, which really wasn't too much of a surprise since this was my first show, and bitches be busy, you know. (laughs) So now it's time for this episode's challenge. I want you to see if you can surprise me with a horror film that I've never seen. What is the most obscure horror film that you know of that you think no one else has ever seen? I'll give you a list of of your replies on my next episode. And don't forget, I'd love to hear about your paranormal experiences. If you can give me the chills, your tale of terror will be read on my show. Email your responses and stories to horrorsection.steve at outlook.com. In two weeks, our next film up for review is a recent one from 2020, The Dark and the Wicked. As always, for the best horror experience, I encourage you to watch this film knowing next to nothing about it. You can find this film on Apple TV, Shudder, which is an awesome streaming service for horror fans if you've never heard of it, Amazon Prime Video, or on Blu-ray and DVD. Steve's Horror Section is an independently produced podcast. If you would like to support the show and get access to exclusive material, please visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Steve's Horror Section. Thank you for listening and see you next time.